I'm Sunny Linarduzzi. Welcome to the Sunny Show podcast for the bright side of being your own boss and building your own life. My definition of being your own boss means showing up for yourself so you can show up for everyone and everything else personally and professionally. So congratulations on showing up, boss. I promise to support you on your journey with every single episode. Let's begin. Hey boss, this is such an honor to have this guest on my show today. He is pretty much the OG of the podcast space, and I first met Jordan Harbinger almost a year ago, and it was at a time where he was best known for his mega popular 4 million downloads a month podcast, The Art of Charm, and at a time when he was going through a business breakup with his partners on that show. Fast forward to today, And in less than a year, Jordan has had to start completely from scratch. And with his very own show, The Jordan Harbinger Show, he has accumulated over 4 million downloads a month. We talk about everything from creating a massive, epic comeback like he's done, to using the art of masterful communication to talk your way out of and into any situation. Did I mention that Jordan's actually been kidnapped twice? Yeah, we'll talk about that in this episode as well. Jordan is one of my favorite guests of all time, to be honest, and he's going to share some of his best communication tips, including something he calls the layoff lifeline list and text roulette for building a rock solid community around you in case things ever go sideways in your business. Plus, We'll round out the interview with three masterful tips for communicating with anyone at any time in any situation. All coming from a guy who has interviewed and communicated with the likes of Tony Hawk, Larry King, Chris Hadfield, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Russell Brand, Shaq, and the list of epic people goes on. Dude knows what he's doing, and I'm so happy to have him on the show. This is really a jam-packed interview, and I'm so excited to hear what you think. So if you enjoy it, please screenshot this and put it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag Jordan, and we'll be sure to share it out on our stories as well. So if you want to be more confident in communicating, this is the episode for you. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show. I got to admit, it's, it's a little intimidating interviewing mm. you. Yeah, why is that? Well, you're kind of the master interviewer, so I feel like I feel like you know. I just feel like I'm under a little bit of pressure. But funny enough, this is my second time interviewing you. That's so. true. Yeah, you did get me once before, and so yeah, you're kind of on the hook. You can't really run from this now. I can't really run from. I mean, I yeah. asked you to be here, so that's, that's the right. thing. Um, I'm so excited to interview you because, truthfully, I interviewed you at Social Media Marketing World. Uh, last year on the live stage and I, we chatted for about 10 minutes, we had a hard stop and I felt like I could have spoken to you for a much longer time. So I'm excited to talk to you more in depth today because you've had, you've had quite the last year. Um, it's it's been a little crazy. It's been, it's been a lot. Um, and I want to talk about that. We're going to get into the art of the interview because truly you are a master at interviewing people and you've interviewed some of the biggest names in the world. I mentioned it in the intro. Um, so I know you have a lot of valuable information when it comes to communication and getting the best answers and best really insights out of people. So I'm, I definitely want to dive into that. But before we do, I mean, you're really the OG of the podcasting space, in my opinion. Like you're one of the first, you have had massive, massive success with it, but your path took a very interesting turn over the last year. Do you want to kind of bring our audience up to speed of exactly what your journey has been thus far? 
Sure. So I started a company, one of the original podcasts, it was called The Art of Charm. I started that in 2006. And I did that show, built that business for 11 years. And, you know, I was doing it with people that were really interested in being like known as entrepreneurs, but not really interested in like doing all the work that goes with it. And, you know, they they had different visions for where the company would go. And they kind of wanted it to be like, meeting girls and all this stuff. And I'm like, look, I'm 38 now. I'm married. I've been married for a while. I've been the same girl for a while. And so I was starting to take the show in a different direction. You know, I was interviewing like scientists and things like that. And our, our opinions started to diverge strongly when it came to what the business and the brand should be. And so we negotiated an amicable split uh, and then that wasn't honored. That didn't happen. And so uh, I ended up getting locked out of everything and the whole team, almost the entire staff of the entire company basically got fired in one day mm-hmm. and another partner just took over the whole company. And so of course the team wanted to work with me anyway and I wanted to work with them. So we ended up forming the Jordan Harbinger show. And funnily enough, as traumatizing as that experience was, uh, it was the best thing that probably ever happened to me in a lot of ways because if our amicable split had been honored in the first place, I would still have to work with those same partners on the sort of untangling of everything, the unwinding of everything. And if you've ever been in a relationship with a, like a person you shouldn't be in a relationship with, or who shouldn't be in any relationships at all, perhaps, you know that you need to quit cold turkey. You can't be like, here's this reasonable thing we're going to do because that doesn't work with people who are more interested in like, not and, and causing trouble or causing pain or getting their own way and making other people look bad or doing something, you know, to cause the other party strife. So it's been great because now everybody that I actually worked with on a day-to-day basis is working with me now. I get to do the types of programs I want to do. So we're training military, special forces, civilians, intelligence agencies, corporations. Uh, those are our clients. And the people who listen to the show, the Jordan Harbinger show, they can get the kind of interviews that I've always wanted to provide. So we've had somebody who was kidnapped by Somali pirates kept for two and a half years. We had someone who studies psychopaths and told us how to spot psychopaths based on their behavior. We've had angel investors like Jason Calacanis, who was our episode 100, come in and talk about what he looks for in founders, what he looks for in entrepreneurs that he's going to invest in. So we've been able to do really highbrow content for smart, intelligent people. And I, now I, I'm not caught in this tension where it's like, do this highbrow stuff that you really want to do that you're interested in. Oh, and also talk about like top pickup lines for chicks at the bar, like stupid stuff that I just really wanted to never have anything to do with, but I was kind of being held back by this old brand that I'd created when I was a friggin' kid, really, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's funny how this works out because my old company is being sued by four or multiple different parties at this point. And so litigation is kind of a pain, but it's kind of fun to go to your lawyer's office with a smile on your face just because you know that you're out, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's kind of like a divorce where you're like, at least I don't live with a psycho anymore, right? It's like that kind of breakup and it's actually happier to, to be, it's a happier situation for everyone I think involved. And so it actually worked out really, really well, which is surprising because traumatizing things from an entrepreneur perspective or from a human perspective, traumatizing events, we kind of have this negative connotation attached to it. Like you get fired, you lose your business, your, your um, business idea doesn't work out, your relationship doesn't work out. 
there's always another side to that. And often those things happen for a reason. Like, look, if your house burns down, I'm sorry, there's probably no positive side to this, right? But if a relationship doesn't work out with somebody, I don't think there's really that many occasions where you go, yeah, but you know, if I'd forced it hard enough, eventually it would have been fine. It's like, nope, I don't think so. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what you resist persists sort of thing. Right. It's like, it's, it was only going to lead to probably a bigger problem. And, and yeah. I think it, it really was enlightening for me to speak to you when you were kind of in the midst of it. I mean, it had just recently gone down. I felt like it was very fresh for you when we spoke at Social Media Marketing World, which was in March, February, but you were so calm about it, even in the midst of all that chaos. And I think that that was the thing that really stood out as far as you know, our, there's a lot of people listening who are probably going there through their own stuff in their business. I've had unfortunate relationships in the past in business where it didn't end in the best possible way and you have to just kind of walk away. And, and there's a lot of costs associated with that, not just like financially, but as you mentioned, emotionally, it's traumatizing, all those things. But you came through it on the other side and you're, you're doing really well. And I think just to add context, like you're very humble. Um, but I'm really great at humility. That's one thing I'm tops at for sure. Super good at it. Um, nailed it. Yes. You're very humble. So you, you didn't really mention like the details of how successful the show was. It wasn't just like, Oh yeah, we started to do a podcast and like that was that. And then we'd part away. It's like, let's just talk about how successful that podcast was that company was before this split happened. Sure. So before the split, we'd had somewhere in the neighborhood of 4 million downloads a month for the show. I'm actually ahead of that. I like to add with the Jordan Harbinger show, we're at 4.7 million downloads per month. So Amazing. it's kind of funny because people go, oh man, you know, you're going to recover. It's going to take a few years, but you'll do it. So far, we're eight months into the Jordan Harbinger show and we already have a bigger audience than we did on the old show. And I think part of that is a renewed passion for the work and the fact that people can recommend the show to their friends without them being like, why do you listen to that stupid <laughs> thing about picking up chicks? So we have this different and more positive brand that's easier for people to swallow and it's a more intelligent and interested audience. Um, so yeah, our show was very successful. We had a multi seven figure product and training brand. Um, we had dozens of employees. We had, you know, I don't even know if people, I think people now measure social media accounts. We kind of don't really care about that because it wasn't about that ever. So, but we had a lot of reach and a lot of influence. And even now looking at similar numbers for the Jordan Harbinger show, slightly larger, uh, impact, we have, you know, a show that's in the top 100 in the iTunes music store in the U S top 50 in Canada, top 50 in Australia, top 50 in the UK and has been there for the last several months, which is great because that, that recovery happened a heck of a lot faster than I expected it to. And that was really, really nice because when you, if you're a business owner and you lose your, well, if you lose your business or you lose your position, you, if you're an entrepreneur, you don't just lose your income stream. You lose like your identity, mm -hmm. right? You, you, what, like, what if your social accounts and your YouTube, which I know you're big into right now, got just, oh, someone just took it, right? You'd be like, oh, I'm Sonny Leonard Uzi. Uh, I, um, I have a podcast still, but I don't really identify that much with that. I mean, I do, I like it, but you know, wh what do you do? Do you make videos anymore? Can you say that you do that? Can you say, you, do you say you used to do that? Do you say that you're going to do that again and you're in this middle thing? That's weird, right? It's like mm -hmm. one of those people who's like, yeah, I'm a pro athlete. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm, but I'm going to be. Like, I think I really have a shot at making it. People just look at you and go, whatever, sure. man. 
Yeah. And you look at yourself and you go, whatever, man, you know, and that's the problem. You look at yourself in the mirror and you go, who the hell am I? And I had to lean on a lot of people and a lot of relationships to regain my footing the first couple of weeks and months of recovery because the most traumatizing wasn't losing the income stream. Thankfully, I've you know, I've done a good job diversifying income. I, I'm a good saver. I live below my means, et cetera. But that's not the problem. The problem is going, well, entrepreneurs usually don't run out of money. They run out of purpose, right? So you start to go, what the heck am I going to do now? And that's a lot scarier than being like, well, I'm, I guess I'm just going to sit. People, here, here's what non-entrepreneurs do. They go, take two weeks off and go to Hawaii, man. You deserve a break. And entrepreneurs go, are you insane? I'm not taking time off right now. I'm starting over. I'm going to be grinding for the next two years. Mm-hmm. I will never take two, two weeks off and go to Hawaii. What is wrong with you? Right? Because we don't run out of dough. We don't burn out a lot of the time. We run out of purpose. Do we burn out from work? Yes. But do we eventually wake up one day and find something else? Yes. But if you don't have purpose and you're just working, that for an entrepreneur is like running the blender with the top off. Totally. You know, you're, you're just spewing out everywhere. It's not working. We are, we want to be lasers as entrepreneurs. We want to focus all this crazy ADHD crap that got us in trouble in school <laughs> and aim it at something and drill a hole in the wall. We don't want to just be spinning around all over the place. And we sure as hell don't want to go to Hawaii. No, I mean, that, that actually seems like a very <laughs> weird form of torture when yeah. everything falls apart. Like, oh, go relax. No, no, no. There's no yeah. relaxing in my brain right now. Even if you are no. financially sound and all that stuff, it's just like, well, no, I need something to excite me when I wake up in the morning. Yeah. Um, so on this note, this is actually what you said to me uh, at Social Media Marketing World when we were chatting that struck a chord and I revisit this all the time because the reality is, I mean, anybody on any path, when you're a content creator in any way, shape or form, you're not going to resonate with the content that you were putting out 10 years ago necessarily. Like you're going to go on a journey of evolving. And I feel like I've been on that path. I'm continuing to go down that path. It's really interesting to navigate. And what I found so striking about what you said and what I've returned to as I'm going through this journey myself was that you basically were like, you know, this happened and it felt like the end of the world immediately when it happened, I'm sure. But you basically said, you know, you build this empire, you build this business, and you immediately feel like, oh my God, it's all falling apart. And then you had a moment where you realized through building that empire, you truly had everything that you needed to start again. It wasn't like you were starting from scratch all over again, because when you were starting from scratch, you didn't have the connections. You didn't have a podcast that had 4 million downloads a month. You hadn't built that credibility. You hadn't built the relationships. You hadn't built the clout. You hadn't built this influence. So I thought it was so important to recognize that point because it may feel like the world's falling apart, But if you stop and take a moment to look at everything that you've accomplished, it makes it a lot less daunting to do it again. It does. And I know that people don't really believe me or us when we say things like this, because it's like, well, easy for you to say, you've got this big platform, you know, you built this business or whatever. And I agree with that sentiment, but those people are truly starting from the beginning. So expectations have to be tempered, right? Those are the people that say, yeah, I'm going to give it a shot for five or 10 years and see what happens. And they're going to start generating revenue and income and turn a side gig into a full-time job. But when you're at the top of the game and, and the top of the mountain, you're at the bottom and you're looking at the top and you're going, it's going to be impossible for me to get back up there because the only roadmap that you have is it took me 11 years to get one of the largest shows in the world. 
how is it not going to take me 11 years to do it again? And then what you realize is, wait a minute, I have 11 years worth of relationships. I have 11 years entertaining and making learning content for audiences that the audience actually likes. There's 11 years worth of people looking for me on the internet and going, where did Jordan go and why isn't he on the show anymore? Mm -hmm. So what happened very quickly after leaving and starting the Jordan Harbinger show was people went, oh, well, I'm just going to follow you over here. Now it's a slower process. But when I started with no social media accounts, no email list, no website, no podcast, bear in mind, again, I am eight months into the Jordan Harbinger show and ahead of where I was before. That is kind of insane. It is. And the reason that that happened was because I was able to lean on all these connections that I made. I was able to, uh, I dug the well before I was thirsty in terms of relationships and I was able to capitalize on that. And I had a fan base that was looking for me. That's one reason why now I'm so, so adamant about relationship building and, and maintenance because it's the one thing nobody can take away from you. Mm-hmm. It's like you could get sued into oblivion. You could be living in your mom's, you know, the car parked behind your mom's house. But if you have relationships and connections, you will be able to recover so quickly. And I noticed that, here's an illustration for you. When I was, when I separated from the Art of Charm, AKA tried to like log into my stuff and was essentially locked out and, you know, was told like, ah, you're fired. You know, it was like, what? You can't do that. You know, you go through these stages of grief where it's like, well, this isn't really, you're not allowed to and the, my lawyer this, and then you're like, well, wait a minute. I wanted to be out. What should I do right now? So you get on the phone and if you've done, if you've done life right, you make a list of like the 10 or 15 people that you want to call and get advice from, not just your parents. Like they'll give you emotional support. Sure. hopefully. So, so call them later or call them first, whatever you need. But I made a list and I was like, I'm going to call my friend who had started one of these super big junk companies that made like hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm going to call some of my nutrition entrepreneur friends who have like huge brands and make hundreds of millions of dollars selling everything from protein powder to kettlebells. Like I'm going to call those guys. And, and some of those women and men were able to jump on the phone with me that day. And I mean, they probably canceled meetings to do this because they've all been through this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were like, here's what's going to happen. Focus on this, focus on this, focus on this. I've seen this before or this happened to me and here's what happened. And I'm never, I've never been better and my business is bigger and da, da, da. And they give you this real advice, not just the, I believe in you. They give you like the, no, I got fired two years ago and I'm now making this, that, and the other thing, or this happened to me a decade ago and look where I am now. And you go, oh, not only is it all going to be okay, it's going to be better than it was before. And it's probably going to happen really quickly. And this isn't, again, this isn't your mom telling you this, right? This isn't your buddy telling you that you're going to be fine. These are people who've been in your shoes and or worse and have bounced back and know you well enough to say that you're gonna do the same thing. And that is what gives you the confidence to then lean into your other relationships and lean into your other assets and make it happen. And I actually developed a drill. I don't know if you want me to teach a little drill. I would love that, yes. Okay, so I call this layoff lifelines because not everybody's an entrepreneur. There's a lot of people who got the jobby job and there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, some people have really successful careers. And I would say on any given week, there's like two or three days where I'm like, should have had a damn job. They wouldn't be dealing with this BS right now. You know, like, right? So, so like people think like entrepreneurs are hanging out on the beach. If you're on the beach as an entrepreneur, it's because you got email on your beach vacation and it's got to get handled, yep. right? Nobody's bringing the laptop to the beach. So, Imagine you get laid off from your job today 
or your business, you know, becomes illegal overnight. Who are the 10 or so, 10 to 15 or so people I would say that you'd contact to solicit their advice Mm -hmm. on what to do next? You make this list now before you need anything. So these are your weaker or your dormant ties, but they're important. You know, this is the college professor that got you that first internship that's really well connected, that knows a bunch of people and really believed in you that you lost touch with because you're lazy and so is everyone else with the relationships because you were 26 and you didn't know you needed to keep that, right? Make that list, reach out now, reach out to them now while you don't have an agenda and you don't need anything specifically. This is less awkward because you're agenda free, right? It's weird to reach out to somebody and be like, hey, Sonny, I haven't talked to you for like five years. Oh my God, how are you? I just want to catch up. Also, do you have a job? I am broke as AF. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I need a job. You don't want to wait for that moment. Right, right. Because then you're like, oh, kind of don't want to see you at all because it's going to be awful, right? Yeah. You're going to be super needy and weird. But if I reach out and I'm like, hey, Sonny, I haven't talked to you for a while. Let's get back in touch. And you're not like selling Herbalife or trying to get people into Scientology. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, oh, I'm so glad I reconnected with Jordan. Do that to those 10 or f- two and with those 10 or 15 people. And it gets you momentum. It mm-hmm. One, it ends the cycle of procrastination because entrepreneurs, business owners, or people with that nine to five, we've got a hundred things to do. And we're comfortable with 99 of them from taking out the trash to posting something on Instagram to keep your, your audience engaged. But when you say networking, people are like, "Ugh, no, I don't want to. It sounds gross. I don't want to fling business cards and I don't know how to do this well. So you, you want to get the, you want to kick the rust off. And so this layoff lifelines kicks off the rust in a way that's not awkward. And it's important because relationships and digging that well before you're thirsty, this is one area of your life and in your business where you cannot make up for lost time. By the time you need it, it's too late. And so you have to do this stuff now. And that's why I love this layoff lifelines thing. It's like a, it's like a 30 minute exercise. You write a bunch of names down. They don't have to be the top 10 or 15. You just write until you're like, oh yeah, that person. Well, there's also this person. Then you send those people a quick email. It is ridiculously easy. You can get it done in like at 30 minutes to an hour. I mean, you're going on my list, just so you know. Um. That's fine. <laughs> of course. Um, I mean, I always say your tribe is your trust fund. And I feel like Mm -hmm. this is really echoing that statement. Like, I really do believe if you have a community around you of people that you can trust and that you can lean on in situations like this, or even beforehand and really build those relationships, nurture the relationships before you have to, and you're in this point of pure panic, it makes a world of difference. And that's really going to be the thing that's going to be your safety net moving forward. And I mean, you definitely have a big advantage because you are... I would say like, not only just a master interviewer, but you're just a very good communicator, um, obviously. And you mentioned earlier that you had recently interviewed someone who had been kidnapped and you've been kidnapped, right? Yeah, twice, but it was a long time ago, thankfully. I'm not up for round three on getting kidnapped. I'm like, hard pass on getting kidnapped (laughs) again. That's not something you want to do. But I just think like your life story, the things you've been through, this is really crazy. All these things are obviously happening to you. um, And you're finding ways to find the positive out of it. And you've also built relationships and had the right conversations to help you succeed more so than you were even in the past um, business or company, which I think is just so incredible. So one question before we dive into really how you became so good at communicating with people and building the right relationships so we can teach our audience how to do the same. um, What do you think outside of the relationships was the biggest key 
say someone's listening right now and, and things are going to shit for them in their business. What do you think was the biggest key to you bouncing back so quickly and exceeding expectations so quickly with this new company? Yeah, that's a great question. The key, I, I've thought about this a lot because I'm like, wow, I need to like bottle this, right? It really is the networking because it's the relationships, again, are the one thing that nobody can take from you. Mm -hmm. And also, you can never actually do the amount of work that you're sort of army, your people, your crew can do for you. It's impossible. Physically, it's impossible. Emotionally. And when I started reaching out to people and I was like, look, I need to rebuild my show because this is what I do. This is how I'm going to build my rev stream. It was like, reach out to my network and say, hey, what are we doing? And they were like, we want to sign you immediately. We want to keep you going. Great. Mm -hmm. So new contract. Well, here, now, Jordan, you need to build up your audience so the advertisers are going to bounce okay, how do I do that? Well, reach out to all these people that I've interviewed that have shows now, that have platforms now, that have been around for a while and say, hey, remember that time you launched your first book and you came on my show and you crushed it and you sold 5,000 copies? I'm in trouble, kind of need a hand. And they're like, great. And I called people like Pat Flynn and he's like, great, I'm going to mail this out tomorrow. I'm going to email my entire list, you know, next week. I'm going to have you on my show now. I'm going to air this immediately. I'm going to put this on my Instagram. And you know, you get on these opportunities where if you were starting from the beginning or you never maintained these, it would be like, oh shoot, I've got to get back in these people's good graces. They have no reason to want to help me. I've got to dig the well all over again and I'm in deep trouble. I didn't have to worry about that. I mean, it was like a month in, I think we had gone from zero to like 25 or 30,000 downloads per episode, which is like I think 30 times the number of average podcasts that are even in the top half that are still active. Mm -hmm. And then within a few months after that, it was like, okay, we're back to 200,000 downloads per episode, which is like the audience had come over. They heard about what happened. I wasn't allowed to say goodbye to my audience. It was a surprise attack. So I was able to regain the vast majority of my audience by just going on the same shows where they were listening and what those people were looking for and making myself extremely visible. And you can't do that by showing up and going, Hey, everybody I've been ignoring for five years while supposedly keeping my head down. I really need help right now. It's like, no, you got to call freaking Gary Vaynerchuk. You got to call <laughs> Brett McKay over at art of manliness. Yeah. You got to call Pat Flynn. You know, you've got to call Jocko Willink and you've got to say like, I'm going to pinch throw a tweet at me or something, man, you know, like mm -hmm. do something here because I'm in trouble. And these guys and gals were all with, they were in immediately because they were like, I would do the same thing for you. Or yeah, I've been listening to your stuff for years. It's been a game changer. What can I do to help? I had hundreds of people like that. And I think a really important point out of this and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you've been building this relationship some of these relationships since before they had this clout, since before they were these big brands, sure. and these big influencers. So I think that's really important to remember because I'm sure there's people listening going, okay, well, but I don't know those people. I don't know these big icons and influencers. Actually, you do, and they're going to grow with you. And that's why it's really important to not discount anybody who comes into your life or your sphere in this industry because you have no idea. I The amount of times that someone has come back into my realm um, after years of not seeing them or talking to them is crazy. And so I always say to myself, thank God I'm a nice human. And thank God yeah. I have good relationships with people because if you burn bridges, it will. It will come back to haunt you. It'll make this process a lot harder. It's, it's extremely difficult, if not outright impossible, 
to, and again, I hate, I'm going to overuse this phrase a lot, but you, you cannot dig that well when you need, you can't try to leverage relationships after you already need them. It does not work because when you try to do this, you show your, your agenda shows. Cause it's like, well, of course you need my help now. Mm-hmm. Of course you need this now. And people might resent that because mm-hmm. they might say, remember when I emailed you about something and you ignored me or hey, how come you're only reaching out now? And it's just, it's a human nature kind of situation to want to help people that have helped you or kept in touch with you, even just at a basic, basic level. And a lot of us right now are going, oh, well, shoot, how how do I know who's going to be, who I need help from later on? And and the way that you do this is you stop trying to guess who's going to be a big shot and you just use systems to maintain your network. And I've got exercises that I do. In fact, I can teach a little something else if you're up for it. Yes, please that I do every single day that I think are extremely useful. So one of these, this is, I'm not very creative with titles, but I just call it texting, text re-engage or whatever, text roulette. So I go into my phone and I scroll all the way down to, I open the text messaging app and I scroll all the way down to the bottom. And that's where those texts are that are like two years old, where it's like, remember having lunch at, at FinCon in 2016 at Cafe Gratitude? And the guy's like, yeah. And you never texted him back. You never really followed through. It was like, I'm outside. It's like the only thing in the text thread, right? (laughs) So you go back and you go to those bottom threads and you go, oh yeah, that's right. I never texted Sonny after that lunch. I should scroll all the way down in there and send them a message. And you basically do this while you're in the Starbucks line instead of like scrolling through Instagram or whatever. Mm -hmm. And what this does, you send them a script that goes a little something, not an exact script, but it's got some basic points. And the, the way it goes like this, you say, hey, and you use their name so that it doesn't seem like a mass text. Hey, Sonny, it's been a really long time since Cafe Gratitude at FinCon 2016. Did you go this year? I didn't make it because I've been busy uh, rebuilding my business from scratch. You know, big story with that. What's the latest in your world? I'd love to hear an update from you when you get a chance. No rush. I realize everybody's busy. And then you sign your name. And what each of these pieces does is important. So first of all, you use their name so they don't think it's a mass text. You say it's been a long time and you tell them where you met them. So they're not like, who the F is this, right? You try to give them some context. Then you tell them no rush on the reply. I realize everyone's busy. The reason you do that is because whenever I hear from somebody and it's been like two years, I think, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And usually that's where it goes back to like, is it herbal life or Scientology, right? It's like, I don't want to have to guess what you want. I'm, auto, I'm already suspicious because I'm, you know, salty and I've been in the game for too long or whatever, you know, jaded. So Tell them that you don't care about the rush on the reply because when people are selling something, they try to build urgency. And when people are not selling something, they don't care about urgency. So we're actively destroying urgency by saying like, yeah, don't worry, no rush, whatever is cool. Then that actually increases the response rate from like 40% upwards of 70% when I've tested this. And then you sign your name so that they don't go new phone, who dis? Or worse, ignore you because it's embarrassing to be like, oh shoot, who is this? I had lunch with them. I have no idea who they are. I didn't save their number because saying who is this is embarrassing. Ignoring the text is easy and has no consequences. So you want to avoid that. So you have to sign your name. You have to destroy the urgency. You have to use their name and you have to ask them the update for them because otherwise it doesn't prompt a reply. It's just like, cool, bro, or whatever. (laughs) So do that like five times a day. I, I try to do that every morning so that I hit the lunch hour on the East Coast and I hit the sort of earlier morning or like just got back from the gym crew on the West Coast 
and you know, the, the people who are West coast, we could check our phones whenever the hell we want. So, you know, it's like 9am here. It's like <laughs> noon in New York. So I try to do it around then it gets a really good response rate and that I'll do every single day. And I'll do like four or five people while waiting for a coffee or like, Oh, I'm supposed to get a call at four 30 and it's four 24. All right. I'm, I'm doing it now. Killing six minutes. And you'll be shocked because if you do this five days a week to five people, that's 20 people, 25 people. I can do math that you re-engage <laughs> every week. And the numbers game works in your favor. Like most people, half aren't going to reply. The half that do are going to be like, yeah, still working it at uh, the, the body shop, like nothing new here, you know, or whatever. And that's fine. But then one person, and I'm telling you like clockwork for me anyway, one person will be like, Hey, so funny. You just texted me. I'm about to walk into a meeting today where we're deciding on speakers for our corporate retreat. Do you still do speaking? Why? Yes, I do. Or, Hey, so funny to hear from you. I'm going to this conference tomorrow that I'm co-running and somebody just bailed. Do you want to give a talk can you get to LA like tonight? I'll buy your hotel. It's already booked. You just need a flight. Yep. Sure. No problem. That kind of thing happens to me all the time. I feel like every week I get invited to, I, once I got invited to freaking Australia, I got invited to Hawaii to talk at a conference. I got invited on a bigger, a big show. I had a friend tell me that her friend is a producer of a national talk show, had a spot open up the next day and they were going to call in like a rando person. And they're like, why don't you do it? These are the types of opportunities that come when you're top of mind on all these people that don't have you top of mind. And the only way to do that is a numbers game. You can't just network with people where you're like, well, Sonny's important. So I'm going to hammer her every week or something. <laughs> And I'm going to ignore everyone else. Totally. Right? Totally. I mean, it, it's funny you say that. We have another episode with Lori Harder and she wrote a book called Tribe Called Bliss. And she was talking about the numbers game too. I think when she moved to LA, she had no network, no really like community around her. And she's trying to build it up. She was like, I would message 50 people a day and maybe get five responses. That's so, so LA though too. That's so LA somehow. <laughs> But I think it's important to understand, like you're going to get rejected. People aren't going to respond. Don't take it personally because there will be the one golden gem out of that that will actually work in your favor. Um, yeah. And it's about the long game. It's not about the instant gratification of the response. So, I mean, you've taught us two things thus far, which are just further proof that you are really, really masterful with communication. But I want to go even further in depth. Sure. As mentioned, you have been kidnapped twice, which is insane. Oh, yeah. um, can you just give it like, how did, how did you get out of it? First of all, how'd that happen? Then how'd you get out of it? And just break that sure. down for me. So, yeah, so they're, they're, they're so not nearly as exciting as the teaser, right? So the first time I was 20 years old, I lived in Mexico City and I ended up getting into a fake taxi. And it was like, I was 20, I was working out every day and I was eating like carne asada, you know, four times a day. Just, I was probably like 209 pounds of like, a bored college guy, bro, working out every day. And this guy was a cabbie who was probably pushing 50 and he sat down and drove a crappy cab all day. So when I figured out I was being kidnapped, it was like, you know, Hey, should I ask for directions? Where are you going? You're driving away from where I want to go. And he was like, I don't speak English. And I was like, cool, I'll switch to Spanish. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to pretend that there's a traffic jam, like just BS. And I was like, wait a minute. You know, I started listening to my intuition. I was like, something's wrong. And then there was a, what we might call a physical altercation, which he was not, he did not come out on top. And I was able to get out of the car and I ended up running back 
as close as I could to where we came from and got picked up by a random passerby who was wondering why there was a white dude with close cropped hair wearing Banana Republic chinos in a freaking barrio in Mexico City at like, you know, 10 p.m. Uh, so that was the first time. That was not solved by communication habits of any kind. That was more I mean, like... a little bit though, a little bit. Maybe, like, yeah. how did I get into this situation, right? It was like not good. And then uh, the second time was a little bit more serious. I worked as a, I had a fellowship from the Department of Defense, the U.S. Department of Defense, and I was a teacher in Serbia, not Siberia, but Serbia and the former Yugoslavia, which is an awesome place, by the way. But they have kind of a crappy government apparatus, or they did back then. And they have these like national security guys, and they're kind of off the leash. It's not like the FBI where it's just really professional. Think like gang member with a badge. You know, these, a lot of these guys are like militiamen from Bosnia that got relocated back into Serbia. PTSD, doing drugs. Like they're, they're not good people. And they had come after me because I had not registered myself where I was living. Because every time I registered myself and told the police where I was living, which is a law there, uh, they would harass me. So, and they would harass the people that I was living with. And I was like, this is BS. This is un-American. I'm not telling you where I live, government. And they found me and they were like, oh, we're just going to like beat you up and, you know, mess with you for a while. And I just, that was communication habits, how I got out of that one. Because I essentially kept them calm using some of the things that we teach on the Jordan Harbinger show and at Advanced Human Dynamics, like reframing emotional states, keeping them calm, redirecting the conversation, uh, developing rapport, things like that. And then finally they were like, okay, well, this guy is not a spy. He's probably a prick, but he's not a spy. And so they're like, all right, we'll let my, we'll wait for my buddy to get done with your friend. Cause my friend was like, do you know who my, do you know who my dad is? And I was like, oh, bad strategy. And so, so like I waited for them to get done. And, and then I was like, Hey, I really need some water. And they were like, no. And I'm like, I need water. I need water. I need water. And the place where we were had no water. And they're like, fine, let me go get you some. And that created an opportunity for me and my buddy to escape. And so mm. that was a sort of an opportunity generated by communication skills and things like that. And the fact that these guys were really poorly trained or possibly not trained at all anyway. Right. And so I was able to take advantage of like a poor mindset and the fact that they were really tired by keeping myself focused. Yeah. So that was a little bit more serious. That was like the stuff of nightmares, you know, like you end up with like cigarette burns on your face and stuff like that, but it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. And I want to just say, because every time I do this and Serbian people are listening, they always like, they're like F you Jordan or they get defensive. Serbia is awesome. Serbian people are awesome. It's just, they got some crazy people working in their law enforcement apparatus. And I think any Serbian would agree with that. Right. There you go. I'm glad you said that though. It's a good caveat. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so, and so this is obviously like one extreme of situations, but then you've also mm -hmm. been in situations where you're interviewing some of the most interesting people in the world. You've had some incredible guests on your show. You've talked to people like Russell Brand and Shaq and Simon Sinek and Larry King. I mean, you've, you've, talk to a lot of big names and yeah. it takes a lot. I mean, I'm a former journalist, so I understand mm. that just because someone's a celebrity or an influencer or brand, whatever, doesn't mean they're necessarily the most interesting people in the world. Um, right. so, so what I wanted to talk through is even some of the tactics that you just mentioned in that kidnapping situation, which was dire situation, some of those tactics do apply to in having conversations with people who you might look up to or think are influential, but you're trying to build these relationships with and you're trying to network, I'm doing air quotes if you can't see my hands right now, mm -hmm. network with. Um, 
So if you could break down how to get the most out of anyone that you're speaking to in the sense of like having a really interesting conversation and not just a like, hey, how are you? What are you, what are you here for? What do you do? How do you break that down for people? Sure. So one thing that I always start with with my interviews is I usually showcase some form of vulnerability because a lot of people, look, if you're interviewing Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's not nervous. He's coming in and he's like, yawn, I'm going to crush this, right? So he's used to it. But if you're talking to some neuroscientist or some author, they're like, I hate the book tour. I've got to do these interviews. I got to be quick on my feet. I got to be funny, whatever. It's like they hate it. So what I do is I try to be like vulnerable in the beginning. You know, they'll walk in and I'll say, all right, so my mission for this interview is to make you look good and not trip over my microphone cord. I think I can do one of those two things probably pretty well. And they're like, oh good, this person is like not spit polish shoes, fake you know, veneer teeth smile and is like, hey, welcome, I got a spray on 10. I'm gonna look really cool and ask you basic questions. And I also start with really real topics. I don't say like, oh, it's so fascinating how you started a pet hospital how did you get to where you are today? Tell us your story. And then like fake, you know, 90 watts, 100 watt smile while pretentiously cocking my head and looking in their direction. I'm like, so you have nine dogs. That's a lot of dogs, man. What's going on there? Well, your neighbors must hate you. And they're like, actually, yeah, my neighbors freaking hate me, but I don't care. I love my dogs. And I'll start on a topic like that. And for example, with Russell Brandt, one of the things that we started with is I said something like, and I don't even know exactly how this came up, but I said something like, you know, um, you know what? I, I'm not even going to pretend I remember, but we basically started talking about bees. Okay. The first thing we started talking about was bees. And he's like, I have bees in my backyard. And I was like, my wife's a beekeeper and she's the one running the cameras. And he's like, are you kidding me? I don't meet fellow beekeepers. So I start talking with one of the world's most famous comedians and actors about freaking bees that he's got in his backyard that were a gift from his wife. And at the end of the interview, he's like, okay, no one's ever asked me this kind of stuff. Like, this is just crazy. Bees, really? Jordan, like, did you walk around my house before the interview? And I was just thinking, no, but that's kind of the idea that you want to give people. Not that you literally walked around their house before the interview, but that you know so much about them because you care so much about their story that you did the work. And another example of this is I was interviewing Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. And I, towards the end of, actually in the beginning and, and then again towards the end of the interview, I had said, I told him a story and I said, I got this from your college roommate. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a little bit of a stalker, but it's okay. He actually said to say hello. And, you know, I dropped his name off air and he was like, I can't believe you met so-and-so. And I was like, yeah, it was a little bit random. But the way that it happened was I'd posted online that I was going to be interviewing Mike Rowe. And of course, somebody who was a fan of the show was like, no way. My dad's cousin went to high school or college with him. And then he ended up accidentally stealing a set of baseball tickets from this other guy because he thought they were his. And so I told him that story. And that's the way the interview started. And he was just like, okay, I'm sitting here talking to a friend of a friend mm -hmm. or like a buddy or a peer. I'm not doing a media presentation. Right. I'm not, I'm not doing a stop on my book tour and the ways that y'all can do this. If you're interviewing people, you don't have to do, you don't have to like hire a freaking private investigator to talk to your interview subjects. It does come down to the prep work. And one thing that makes a Jordan Harbinger show so in depth with our interviews is I will read the book 
from the guest and journalists never do this. Interviewers never do this. They go, I don't have time. And I go, well, you didn't make the time. That's why, you know? And so if I'm reading a book cover to cover in the dedication says, to my adopted parents who rescued me from Africa, my life would have been so different without you. Much love, author name. And I'm like, whoa, we're talking about the fact that you were rescued from Africa. Cool that you invented a new medical way to, I don't know, destroy viruses or something. Let's talk about how you got adopted from Africa first. And they're like, yeah, that was really great because that informed my entire life's work because I basically won the adoption lottery and ended up moving to America where I could study medicine and study viruses that are going to save people in the country where I was born. Nobody else is getting that interview because they didn't read the dedication. They didn't even buy the book. They're holding it on stage and they got a one sheet from an intern who read like the three pages of chapter one and then Googled a summary on Amazon and was like, we're good. You have eight minutes. Knock it out. Right. I'm doing the deep stuff. And that's what gets people to go, holy crap, this guy did his homework. So then they're not on autopilot. They turn exactly. autopilot off because they don't need it. They can well, be and you catch them off guard a little bit as well. They're yeah. like, what? what? How did you know that? Yeah, right. I think that's really interesting and important. And, I, and it's funny you bring that up because I, whenever I have authors on, I do read the books. I think that's what part of like my training as a journalist. I just feel like yeah. I'm not prepared if I haven't actually read what they're talking about. Sure. But it is, it's finding those weird little nuances that aren't going to be the things that everybody asks them or finding some sort of a common ground to make them more comfortable with you. Another question, just like on a very like peer to peer sort of like networking events space idea um, is if you're at an, an event and you feel really uncomfortable is asking people like, so what are you watching on Netflix right now? People get really passionate about Netflix. Yeah. If you're having an awkward conversation where you're trying to break the ice, ask them about Netflix. And I'm, I'm sure down with that. Fine. Yeah, I'm down with that. It, Netflix, because people are like, oh yes. Or of course with events, you can say, how did you find out about this? If yeah. it's not totally obvious, like if you're all at a work event, uh, yeah, everyone <laughs> from work is here, knucklehead. Like I got, duh. But if you're at some stupid mixer or something or like an after party from a conference, you can say, how'd you find out about the conference? Who else do you know here? And you can quickly follow that sort of BSE small talk with watching anything good on Netflix. And a lot of times people will be like, oh my God, have you not seen the fill in the blank? And you're like, yes, I'm obsessed with it. Or no, how have I not seen that? I got to crawl out of this hole and stop working and go watch Netflix. And I know- I know people are like, Netflix, you got to be hustling 24-7. It doesn't matter. Everybody's got a vice. Everybody's got a little bit of a Netflix binge addiction. And if they don't, one, you got to figure something else out. So use another open-ended question. But two, do you really want to be friends with that person? I think not. (laughs) Very good point. Um, And another thing is if this person that you're trying to connect with is um, not, you know, an author, has a piece of work out there publicly that talks a lot about what they do, Another really good tactic to use is not to sound like weirdo, but to creep their Instagram, to creep their social media and figure out some of the more personal things going on in their life right now and not be like, oh, I read this post from 2014 of when you went to Thailand and I know all the details. Don't say that, but just figure out like what's going on with them right now in their journey and maybe find a through line that you can actually relate to on a very human level and that's not forced. 
Totally agree with that. I love doing the social media thing for, especially for non-celebrities, because with celebrities, they're like, oh, my assistant's assistant's media team liaison posted the fake picture of me in Mexico from 2006 that I'm pretending was last week. Oh, okay. You know, like they don't even know what's going in there, but a normal person will post a picture of their dog and like their nephew smiling, hugging the dog. And you go, it's so cute. I, I just got, I was thinking about getting a dog myself, but I'm not home enough. Is this, you know, do you have any pets? And they're like, yes, I just got a dog. You don't have to be like, I stalked you and I know you have a dog, right. you know, or you can say, yeah, I noticed you have a Bichon. Is it true that they're noisy as heck and they never shut up? Cause that's kind of the deciding factor as to whether or not I'm going to deal with that. And they're like, no, I got one. And you know, I know that you saw it and it's, Yes, it gets along great. It's really quiet. It's well-behaved. The trick is you got to take it to training. And I'm like, oh, is that expensive? This is the art of small talk. It's super freaking easy. But people like to do it because it's easy. And if you can steer it in the direction of something personal, uh, in, depending on the situation, of course, where that's appropriate, they will appreciate it. Because a lot of times people go, okay, Jordan said, Jordan and Sonny said, we got to go deep. So um, hold on. Let's see. Uh, Hi, Sonny. Um, when was the last time you cried? And you're like, uh, check, please. I'm done with this. This like, is awkward. Don't yeah. ask that on a first date. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like, oh, this is one of those questions you drew out of a game deck that's like, hmm, are you weird? Ask these questions at a party. So like, don't do that. Um, yes. Steer it towards something positive, personal. Ooh, there's going to be three P's. I'm going to invent There are. Something. I was like, give me one more. <laughs> dang. Positive, personal. Uh, dang. Personal. There has but to like, be another one. Uh, we, I know. I'm like cracking under pressure. I would say this. not private is good, but like personal. Oh, um, I got what? one. Yes. Okay. So what did we say? Personal, positive. I would say prideful, yeah. like something they're proud of. I like it. Okay. okay that's there we great. Go. That's the yes, three prideful, pieces. personal, and positive. There I feel like I kind of want to write that down right now. So hold on one second. This is happening <laughs> in real time. Prideful. We just, you guys don't worry. We'll have a course on this in no time and we'll be, we'll be selling it left, right, and center. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, on that note, a question about the amount of research you're doing. Cause say it's in more of a context of just like a personal relationship that you want to build. Cause I think the way you're saying applies across the board, how much research is too much research? Because you know, when you do those interviews, interviews where you're like, wow, I know everything and now I'm bored. Um, how much is too much? Sure. That's a good point. I tend to what any journalist would say is over-prepare. So for an hour-long show, I might have six to eight pages of notes. Bear in mind, these are from a book. So a lot of it is going to be like plot lines. And then I go through with a set of highlighters and I highlight, well, the highlighters in Google Docs. Let's be real. Who uses paper? I'll go through and I'll highlight in green things that I want to make sure they say. I highlight story prompts in pink or purple. And a story prompt is like, has a story about getting kidnapped by Somali pirates. And it's like, tell us how that happened. So then that's in the beginning. So I prepare, but I don't deliver the story myself. I don't get bored because chances are there's going to be other details. The key to not getting bored when you over-prepare, and I say when you over-prepare, because there's no such thing as over-preparing in my opinion. You have to you have to prepare adequately by doing the maximum amount of work possible. There's really not going to be this sort of cutoff unless you're going, yep, this is enough. It's going to fill the whole hour because you're still using the key is you're still using your natural curiosity. And so if I'm interviewing somebody whose book I read and they told me the whole story about the Somali pirate kidnapping, I'm going to then ask 
he might go, yeah. And there was this one guy and he just, he smelled terrible. And I'll, I, I might go, oh, I don't remember that from the book. And I might go, well, wait, wait, when you say smell terrible, smell terrible, like a wet dog, terrible, smell terrible, like crazy BO terrible or smell terrible, like rotten food, terrible, because those are three distinctly different types of terrible. And he'll be like, Hmm, never thought about that. Right. Like I'm asking, and that came to me in the moment. Cause I want that to paint a picture, if you will, like a, a scented picture, really gross one <laughs> really for gross. the listener, for the listener. Right. Cause that's what makes the story come alive. So I might've been like, tell me the story of your kidnapping. And he's like, I just remember how bad that bag that was over my head smells. And I'm like, I bet someone barfed in it when they got kidnapped before you. And he's like, that's totally what it was. Right. So that's like a real story element. Everybody knows what that smells like. And you're thinking, so you were in a car that was like 110 degrees in the middle of Somalia with a barf smelling bag over your head. Like everyone can kind of feel how gnarly that is. Totally. That brings the story to life. So you over prepare, you prepare, but you don't go, Oh shoot you know, what am I going to do with this? You don't jump to, you don't stick to your points, right? If your next point is doing that, you don't stick to that script. Mm -hmm. And the, going back to the whole thing about the, uh, the dedication from that scientist who was studying viruses that was sort of quote unquote rescue adopted from Africa. Yeah. Yes. I heard another, the reason I picked this up is because I'd heard another interview with her at some point. And I remember she had said, in that interview with some actual real credit credential journalist had said something like, yes, um, after my adoption and my move to America from Africa, you know, I really had decided from an early age that I want to be a doctor. And then they were like, Oh, when, when did you, uh, where did you go to medical school? And I was like, what dude, did you really just jump from that and ignore all of those prompts and go on to your next talking point? Like you are fired. Okay. Right. You are fired because if you didn't pick up on any of that, either you're not listening or you are not curious and you don't care at all. Because all I know is as a viewer, as a listener, I am going, hold the heck on. You got adopted from Africa. You got rescued. And that's what made you decide to be a doctor. I don't care where you went to medical school. How did that make you want to be a doctor? That's the real story here. So that's the kind of thing where you have to be naturally curious mm -hmm. and you have to let that guide you and not stick to the script that you wrote for yourself. So something that my friend and author Neil Strauss talks about is he says, write down 20 questions for your interview subject, look at them before the interview, then crumple them up and throw I them away. That. I don't, I don't believe in crumpling them up and throwing them away because look, you did that work, but you've got to be able in show business. There's a concept called killing your darlings, which is where you're like, I've got this amazing thing I'm going to do. I'm going to come through and I'm going to du double jump back, flip onto the stage. And then the stage is really slippery and your shoes have no traction. And you're like, guess I'm not doing that. You don't just go screw it YOLO. And then like break your neck on the stage flip, right? You go into it and you adjust in real time for what makes sense. And that's what's killing your darlings. Cause sometimes you're like, I had these three questions at the end and I don't have time to ask them. You just don't get to ask them. The show totally. goes in the direction that it wants to go in. The stories are what is important. You can't shoehorn it in. That's why I don't do like lightning round. It's like, look, you don't, you don't stop. Somebody who's in the middle of a life changing deep moment and go, wait, 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 what's your favorite book? Because you have one <laughs> minute left on the clock. Like don't do that. Your curiosity reigns. You have to be an advocate for your listeners, right? right? You, they own every minute of their time. You are borrowing that attention. Yeah. So if you borrow it and you misuse it, you can't be surprised when they don't lend it to you again. You have to be an advocate for the audience. You have to have their best interest in mind, not your own. And that's what makes a good host is keeping that in mind at all times and acting on that. 
I think that is a really big key. And, and that's something that I speak about a lot when it comes to even with video or public speaking or whatever, people are always like, well, how, how do you maintain the nerves? And I'm like, I don't think about what's going on with me. Like I stopped mm -hmm. thinking about like, what do I look like? What do I sound like? And how am I doing? I'm more thinking, is this valuable for them? What's their biggest takeaway from this? What is the thing that's going to light them up or be a light bulb moment for them? And I do think that differentiates a very boring presenter from someone who's really captivating and really draws you in. Um, if we could summarize uh, the, maybe your top three tips for, and I'd love it if you could make them all start with the same letter, but oh, no pressure. Great. Um, <laughs> for having an interesting conversation. It doesn't even have to be in the context of an interview, but having an interesting conversation um, that our listeners can apply to whether they're hosting a podcast or starting a podcast, or they're just trying to meet new people in their city, what would they be? Sure. So the first thing, these are definitely not going to start with the same letter. I, I mean, we can see where this goes, but I'm making no promises right now. <laughs> the first thing that you have to do is make the conversation mostly about them. And there's this anecdote that I'm not going to even try to repeat because I'm always going to butcher it. It's like some, it's some British thing where it's like, when I went out with so-and-so, I thought I was the most, uh, he was the most interesting person in all of Britain. And when I went out with this other guy, he made me think that I was the most interesting person in all of Britain. And that's, that's some famous anecdote that I probably should have looked up if I was going to illustrate this point, <laughs> but I didn't. So we'll live with that. And what this means is you make it all about the other person. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think they're being interesting when they're like, yeah, you know, I traveled to this country and I did that, you know, and I like, I don't roll into a party and I'm like, Hey, let me tell you about the time I got kidnapped. Let me tell you about the other time I got kidnapped. Let me tell you about how I'm learning Chinese. Like that is somebody who's trying hard to be liked. What I do is I will simply elicit things from other people and utilize curiosity and then get them talking about things that they're passionate about. And so when you make other people light up, the, the weird irony is they go, man, that person was so interesting because mm -hmm. they feel validated right? So you make it about them and you validate them when they share their feelings or their experiences. And that is something that is so rare in the human experience, unfortunately, that people will latch on to you when you do that. You actually have to be kind of careful because I spent years and I still am in many ways, that guy at the party who will go talk to the person that no one's talking to in like 25 minutes into their diatribe about some crazy thing I don't care about. I'm like, this is why no one's talking with her at this party. This is, the, and then she, you know, that person's like, we got to hang out tomorrow. Or like, what are you doing after this party? It ends at 10. And I'm like, getting the F out of here, right? Like leaving and never talking to you again. No, I've um, made a mistake. I've made a, I've made a terrible <laughs> mistake. Yes, exactly. And, and so that curiosity can be extremely powerful because when you make other people feel interesting and you validate them, it is bonkers how much they like you, how that affinity is created for you. And so make it about them, validate them. Those are two things. And I feel the pressure from the rule of three, like weighing down. It's and it's not, like, it's not a pressure thing. However many points you want to yeah. put in here, whatever helps you summarize. Sure. So I would say another way that you can be interesting or keep great conversations going, uh, aside from the three P's that we just made up out of nowhere. And um, I, would, I would do this. I would add a little value cherry on the end of every kid. That sounded weird. I, I would add, but I don't care. We're there. It's already across the Rubicon on that metaphor. 
It's happening. You did it. Go there, at please. The end, at the end of every or at the end of every interaction, you've got to add a little a little bit of value, sprinkle a little bit in there. And the way that you can do this is create an introduction. So if you're you're validating people's emotions, you're making the conversation about them. You find a way to add value to their life after the fact that leads into your social network. So it might be like, it might be something like, Hey, Sonny, good to meet you. We are talking at this party or at this event. Uh, I validated something that you're saying. So we're chatting. I made the conversation at least mostly about you. You're a skilled conversationalist. So it's probably more of a tennis game than it is you just rambling in my ear. Cause we, you know, that's how we became friends in the first place. Right. <laughs> and, and so, and then at the end it might be like, so what are you working on right now? Oh, okay. You're doing this YouTube thing or, Oh, I see you do a lot on social media. I've got a friend who does this and is a really big player in XYZ space. I don't know if that introduction would be useful for you. And you're like, actually, I would love to meet so-and-so because I'm doing a podcast and it's great. It's great. It's easy for me to get certain guests, but there's a person that I don't know. Do you know this person? I will offer to make that introduction. And so what that does is it creates value for two people in my network, right? Because the people I'm, the person I'm introducing to you gets value from that. I would ensure that, of course, I would, and I would make sure that you're getting value from that introduction as well. And the way that I would do that introduction would be the double opt-in. Have you heard about this before? No, tell me more. Okay, so the double opt-in, well, well done. The double opt-in introduction <laughs> is when you introduce two people that you know do not already know each other, you do this via email, text, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But you ask each party individually if they're up for the introduction and you make sure that it'll be useful to both mm -hmm. sides. So let's say that you want to be introduced to uh, Tom Bilyeu. You probably already know Tom Bilyeu from Impact Theory. Uh, we'll see. Found a Quest Nutrition. Really good guy. Good friend of mine. I might, let's assume that you don't know Tom Bilyeu, but, and I go, hey, do you want to interview him? He's a pretty good dude. Super skilled communicator. Really fun. Has great stuff. It would be useful. I would ask you that. You'd say yes. I would then turn around and ask Tom if it's useful. When he says yes and only then, do I then connect both of you? Right. And the reason we do that is because if I offer you that introduction and you're like, yes. And then I ask Tom if he wants that. And he's like, oh, actually I'm leaving for Africa for a safari tomorrow for six weeks. I'd rather hold off. Then I don't just give him something in his inbox where he's like, crap, I've got to reply to this on my way to the airport. So I don't look rude. This sucks. Right? right. So I don't want to do that. Or maybe he's like, oh man, Sonny Leonard Doozy, no way. She, you know, she <laughs> toilet papered my house. He's so awful. She toilet papered my house when we were I in did. kindergarten and I never forgave her. I don't know. <laughs> Kindergartners are terrible these days. Right. So like that kind of thing, we avoid that awkwardness. And if, if one party says no, then you say, Hey, Sonny, actually it's not the right time for Tom. He's got a lot going on. Uh, like, you know, he doesn't like you and stuff. So why don't we try <laughs> maybe leave that part out. <laughs> But we would try a different introduction until you see something that's going to be a fit, right? right? And so that's the double opt-in. And always do these. The other benefit of this, aside from avoiding awkwardness, is each party values the introduction more. Mm -hmm. If I get it, you've done, you've probably gotten a cold intro where it's like, hey, Sonny, meet my friend Jordan. And I'm like, I already know you. Or I'm like, I've been avoiding you. Or you're like, dude, I'm, what am I going to do with this? There's no context. If you get the double opt-in, both parties sort of say, yes, do this for me they take the introduction more seriously. And you'll see replies like the same day, within a few minutes, within a few days. Whereas a cold introduction, sometimes I'm like, I didn't ask for this. And it sits in my inbox for like two months. Oh, and I'm just like, same oh, I, you know, I hope they don't reply. Like, <laughs> I hope that nobody replies on this thread because I don't care about this. I don't want to deal with this, right? So 
it, each party takes it seriously. And another thing is make the introduction immediately. Like if I'm talking with you at that party, make that double opt-in intro, or at least the first part where you ask each party, you can literally bust out your phone at the end of that conversation or even during that and be like, hold on. I don't want to forget about this two seconds. You know, um, Hey, if you go to the bar and get us two beers, I'll be done by the time you get us get back, you know? And it's like, great. You won't forget they won't forget and everyone loves instant gratification and they'll label you as a person of action. Mm-hmm. And if you wait and you forget, or it's like they thought it was going to happen in a day and you, it takes you a week, they might feel weird about following up. Like, Oh, I'm bothering Sonny if I ask her again. So then they don't follow up at all. And then they don't ask for other intros from you ever because you're the guy who offered an intro and never actually followed through. And this is bad because you want the opportunity to help people and bank goodwill and bank that referral currency. You don't want them to be like, yeah, Jordan's the guy who says I'll introduce you and then like ghosts me. Right. right? Totally. Okay. Are those your, those, that was those two. Are my tips. Those are your two. Yes. Okay. I love it. Wasn't three. It's fine. Wasn't it? No, it was three. <laughs> no, it wasn't was, it was two. <laughs> no, it was make the conversation about them, validate them emotionally and validate what they're saying and then do the double opt-in intro at the end. Oh, That's I thought three. the double opt-in was part of the validation, but- Heck okay, no, it. no. That was the value cherry at the end. Oh, value cherry. At. How could I forget the value cherry? That's horrible. Wow. Even well, my camera went blurry on I know you, it did. So. It was shocked. It was shocked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Can't believe this lack of focus here. Even my camera's not focused. <laughs> okay, so let's just recap that again really quickly because it was three points. And it was. I just want to bring it back to that. So yes. you make them feel like you're very interested in, in what they're saying. That's like, yes. that's like the biggest piece out front because the more that you make them feel interesting, the more that they'll find you to be really interesting, weirdly right. enough. Um, the second right. it's, piece, and, and I want to caveat that. It's not like- sure. Oh, you're so interesting. Wow, that's so cool. It's just letting, it's cueing them to talk about things they're interested in. It's not about you like being a super kiss butt weirdo with them. (laughs) That's not necessary. Step two, validating. Validate them, right? That's, That's where you might, accidentally stray into kiss butt territory. So be careful. But if someone says like, yeah, you know, I just moved here and I'm finding it a little bit tricky to make friends. You don't go, oh man, come on, just put yourself out there. You go, yeah, it actually can be really tricky to meet new people in LA, especially because it's flake city. So don't take it personally that you sent 20 messages to people you met and you got like one response. It's not you. It's the town. It's a numbers game to find people who don't flake. Don't feel bad. And they're like, oh, this is really great. That's validation. It's right. not just like, I love your hair, right? That's ridiculous. <laughs> that like, is so ridiculous. I do love your hair, but, but don't worry. Thank you. That's, that doesn't, um, count. <laughs> doesn't count now. And finally, the double opt-in. And the double opt-in intro. That's the third, third and final piece of my three pieces that I gave you that you thought were two. I mean, they're yeah. brilliant, all of them. I was just so enthralled. I think I just lumped two of them together. Right. Okay, so this is really funny and ironic. I am going to do a speed round with you because- okay. you- Lightning round. What's your favorite Lightning point? <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be one of them. Okay. Oh so God. you don't need to have one word answers, but just like as quick as possible. Okay. 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 So, and this is, this is tailored to you. So the first ones should be interesting. Um, who's the most interesting person you've ever interviewed? Oh, should have an interview. I should have a, a hot answer for this. Everybody asks me this. It depends. Week to week, I feel like I've got a new favorite. Uh, recently, I interviewed... I think it's got to be the Somali Pirates guy. I mean, that guy, it can't be my favorite ever, but it's the one that's currently having an emotional impact because he got taken by Somali Pirates and he was held captive for two and a half years. And he was super open and forthright about what that felt like and how 
that was. And uh, he had a lot of practical advice for the audience, which I thought was interesting from a guy who sat, you know, on a boat. We will link that below because I'm sure our audience will want to go check it out. Uh, awesome. The, I'm not sure if you're going to answer this. Who's the least interest, interesting person you've ever interviewed? Yeah, you know, um, I probably don't even remember the person's name, or nor should I mention it, but I will tell you that people who don't prepare and they think that my podcast show is going to be like all of the other ones they went on and they refuse to actually look at the instructions, those people always blow it because they're, mm -hmm. I'll say something like, so how did you get interested in human cognitive psychology? And they're like, uh, shoot, my first talking point is about how my new book can help you maximize your life. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. How did you get interested? <laughs> right. And they're like totally unprepared for a real conversation and they're stuck to their scripts. And those, I just delete those, honestly. And there's been some really awesome people who, have, who are well-known, who have completely, uh, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to shat the bed when it came yeah. to being on the show. I it mean, was, it was so bad. I'm so freaking curious about who those yeah. people are. I know you're not going to tell me, but I'm curious. Yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you in person someday, no problem. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, I was actually, my next question is, how many interviews have you had to delete or not air? It's rare because t typically it's my fault because I should have prepared and sh I should have listened to other talks with them and been like, this person can't get away from their autopilot mode. Um, I have deleted a few dozen in the past decade. So I would say once every six months, it seems like there's one where I go, wow, that did not work at all. You know, and, and there was, there was actually one guy, and I'm sorry, he's a nice guy, but he was the guy who captured, one of the guys, I should say, who captured El Chapo, yeah. uh, the famous drug lord. Yeah. And he was, he was an awesome cop. And he was the worst storyteller on the planet. Oh. He, he didn't have any, I mean, you're, you're chasing the world's biggest drug dealer and you got him. And it was like listening to somebody tell me how they just knitted a sweater and they had a snag and had to start over. It was like less interesting than that story. <laughs> That's terrible. That's yeah, it was really bad. bad. Um, here's your favorite question. It's a little bit tweaked though. Best business book every entrepreneur should read. Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink because mm. it, it allows you to look at every problem and go, which part of this is within my control and my fault? And that's the way that you solve problems in business. You don't solve it by going, well, I hired her and she's dumb, so we should just fire her. That doesn't solve the problem. That just absolves yourself of blame. And then you end up hiring another knucklehead that makes the same mistake. And then you go, well, everybody I hire sucks. Everybody just sucks. It's like, no, you're just you, a crap manager suck. who doesn't know how to hire. <laughs> right. And, and like the sooner you take extreme ownership over these things, the quicker you can solve problems in your business. So at the Jordan Harbinger show and at Advanced Human Dynamics, blaming somebody for something, it just like doesn't happen. Right. Uh, it, it just doesn't because it does absolutely nothing other than create discord and it, nothing gets solved. Got it. Uh, what are the three main characteristics of a successful entrepreneur? You love the rule of threes. I really I, you know, do. This is why your social media is so awesome because everything <laughs> is like in triplicate. Let's see. I think I misused the word triplicate, but oh well. Again, we've, crossed, in, we've crossed over the Rubicon. It's already out there. <laughs> in the sphere. One is obviously resilience. I don't know anybody that's gotten somewhere and hasn't failed. So like resilience can be because you're stubborn as long as you're flexible enough to pivot when you need to. Uh, it can be because 
well, it doesn't matter why. Resilience is the first one. The second one is going to be flexibility, which is different than resilience. Resilience is kind of the ability to withstand, get up when you fall, whatever cliche you want to throw in there. Flexibility is the idea that I want to be an Instagram influencer. Really? Well, why? Because Instagram, influ- well, wait, you like telling stories. There are other platforms that might mm-hmm. be good for that. Oh, really? You fell in love with podcasting. Good thing you were flexible, right? Good. Or you wanted to write. You just didn't know you could. All right, well, now you're, you're pivoting. You're flexible. That's how businesses survive and create new product offerings. It's how they communicate in better ways. And it's how they get better at their craft by not being rigid. So flexibility, resilience, and hmm, there's so many but the other top one, let me think. Now it's pressure because now yeah. if, I, if I don't have a really good one, everyone's like, you didn't say that one? <laughs> what a lot down. <laughs> Man, yeah. Hmm. You know, it's, it's going to be something that has to do with soft skills. It's going to be the ability to, to work with others. And I don't know if that's just one attribute. It's probably a whole skill set and set of them. And I know that it is because that's what I do for a living is teach this with advanced human dynamics. But there are teams of people and each individual is amazing. You know, intelligence agencies, special forces units, every individual on that team is, is amazing. They know that they are not going to operate at their best if the whole team isn't cohesive and isn't on the same page. And so there are guys that get bounced out of the Green Berets, they get bounced out of the SEALs, they get bounced out of uh, different high tier one units because of attitude problems or the lack of ability to work in a team and work in a team well, because mm-hmm. you just can't be Superman and get it done on your own. It doesn't matter. You need 12 Supermen and they need to be able to work in concert. You know, you need a hundred Supermen and work in concert. You can't have one. It just doesn't work. Got it. Best advice you've ever received from a mentor. Don't skip a beat. That was what I got from Norm Pattis and a bunch of other really awesome uh, mentors when I went through my business separation back in February. They said, while everybody else is like, take time off or figure out what you want to do or take a step back, da, da, da. they were like, don't stop at all because right now you've got momentum. Yes. And momentum is hard to rebuild. You know, yes. if you stop and you take a break and then you try to get back in the game a month later after you've gotten your head right or whatever sort of cliche, you might never get it back going where it was. So we got locked out of the show on, I think a Friday or Thursday. And I had a new episode ready to go by the following Tuesday, episode one of the Jordan Harbinger show was ready to go. And that was when I would have released another episode of the old show. I did the interview on Saturday morning with a friend and people go, why'd you do it on the phone? I'm like, Oh yeah, because he had like an hour of notice. And you know, it was like, can you do this on the phone? So that was the first episode of the show. And that was, that was what kicked it off. And so never skip a beat was great advice. Keep that. that momentum is, going. That's really, really good advice. I love that. And no one's ever given mm-hmm. that piece of advice before. Um, yeah. final question. We talk a lot about being your own boss, obviously, um, mm-hmm. in my realm and, and it's one of my taglines. What is your definition of being your own boss? Being your own boss is an interesting one. Everybody thinks they want this until they find out that you have to do the, it's not just being an employee without a boss. It's being your own boss where you have to do all of the boss and all of the employee stuff. So being your own boss is figuring out that you can't sleep in ever. Probably (laughs) it's certainly not today. Um, that, that break you need, you don't get to take your employees get to take it. 
that working, we joked about this earlier, working from the beach, it's because you have to work from the beach if you want to go to the beach today. Mm-hmm. That's what being your own boss is. It's not, I get to pick my own hours. Yes, you mean which 20 hours of the day you want to work? I think that's an old sort of entrepreneur cliche is being your own boss is choosing which 18 hours, 18 <laughs> hours of the day you want to work. And that may well, that may well be true. Yeah. So I, I like that sort of thought process because when I became my own boss, I didn't do much for the first few years and our business was lucky to survive because we treated it like the inmates running the asylum. When I started to actually sort of man up and run things like an actual boss, that's when the business started to skyrocket. And so when I had to start over again in February, we had a pretty easy, I I would say it was a rough time, but it was easy enough to get things back going because I was my own boss. I was cracking the whip on myself seven days a week, Mm -hmm. 18 hours a day, whatever it took to get it done. And that's what I think most people don't realize. You have to do, it means doing whatever it takes to get it done, not you get to be lenient on yourself. It's the opposite. It's extreme accountability. It's extreme. Exactly. Ownership. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, this was so fascinating. It, obviously, you were an amazing guest. So thank you so much for all of the drills and the exercises and the three Ps that we made up, which yeah. is really powerful. Um, that's ah, a fourth. Yeah. <laughs> that's a fourth. Um, where do we want our, where do we want to send my audience to go find you? Sure. So I'm on the Jordan Harbinger show. So any podcast app, you can find the Jordan Harbinger show. And if you like those drills, if you go to advancedhumandynamics.com slash level one, or if you go to jordanharbinger.com slash level one, I've got tons of video. It's free. It's a bunch of videos with similar drills. I've got like a dozen plus drills like that to help you build and maintain relationships. That's all the stuff I wish I knew like 15 years ago, but instead picked up over the last decade in pieces. And that's the game changing stuff that whether you run your own business or not will actually be life changing for you. So the Jordan Harbinger show is a podcast. Come and listen, listen to interesting stuff that has a lot to do, a lot slash nothing to do with business and then do the level one course because it will change whatever you're doing, whether you work for yourself or you work for the man. I love it. We'll put all of that in the show notes below. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Sonny. It's a super, super fun show. Thank you so much to Jordan. I thoroughly enjoyed this interview and got so much out of it. So please let me know what your biggest takeaways were by sharing on social media, tagging me at Sunny Leonard Doozy. And I wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my free masterclass, The Boss YouTube Strategy. You can find it at bossyoutubestrategy.com, how to double your revenue and 100 extra subscriber base in the next 12 months using YouTube. If you aren't using YouTube to build your business, you are missing out on an evergreen lead machine, that's what I like to call it, that will build your revenue and your brand. I'm so excited to see you there. Talk to you in the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it with your fellow bosses. Congratulations on showing up for yourself today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.